Um, I want to say welcome again. Uh, my name is Jake Brower, if I haven't met you, and um, it's fun to be here. It's fun to be with you today. A um, couple of things really quick. Next week, if you're like paying attention to life at all, um, you know it, next week starts kind of like the Easter season, right? Um, so two weeks from today is Easter Sunday, which feels like it's um, just jumping up on us. I, to me, it feels like it's not even um, close to time for Easter. But two weeks from today, we'll be gathering here for our Easter celebration. We don't do a lot different on Easter Sunday. We're not like um, ramping up the programming. If you've been around Fighting Life um, for any period of time, you know that. Um, but our hope and our prayer is that there are people, and I say this, I think, pretty much every year, um, you have friends that are, that are going to go to church in two weeks that never do. Um, they just, because that's what they do. And, and most of them don't really know what they're going to do. So, you know, probably Thursday next week, they're going to jump online or they're going to like look at signs in people's yards and whatnot. And they're just probably going to show up somewhere. Um, and so what I always say is, um, if they're going to go somewhere, why not have them come with you? So relationships make all the difference. And, and nine times out of 10, the reason people connect with Jesus are, the, are because of people in their lives um, that have sort of been part of their process. So don't miss out on that opportunity to bring somebody with you. Um, we're, we're not going to like blast like big like email marketing plans or anything like that because we believe relationships are, are the most important thing. So grab somebody, bring them with you. Um, allow them to experience the, the power of community in a cool way and, and the power of Easter um, on that morning. It's a fun message and uh, a fun thing to celebrate. So just wanted to make sure we were pointing that out. Um, this, this morning, we're, we're wrapping up our, our current series that we're in called Dealing with Doubt. And I don't, I don't really know how you've been processing over the last five weeks, but it's probably been, you know, in eight years, um, probably one of my, like, top five series that I've been, ever been a part of. And part of it is because we've gotten to hear from everybody on our teaching team throughout that process. And for me, one of the values of that is just hearing um, a voice, different voices, different perspectives, different stories uh, and and maybe maybe you connected with a voice that was different than 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 one of the other ones. Regardless, what we hope and pray is that the series has been a very personal one for you. Um, that God has done something in your heart. That that He shifted something about the way you view Him, the way you view life, the way you view faith. That's kind of what we hope for every week. But doubt is is something that every single human being is hardwired to struggle with, because we have an incomplete picture of everything all the time. Right? We are not all-knowing. We can't see the future. We don't know what's going to happen next. That means we're always going to be people, we're always going to be creatures who have to say, I don't know, at some point in their life, multiple times a day if you're actually like living in reality, okay? So doubt is something that we've got to engage with, got to recognize, we've got to connect with, with its significance on our lives. And there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people that, that push doubt away every chance they get, um, and, and probably respond to it more from a standpoint of, no, I'm good. I only have enough information to, um, to not feel uncomfortable. And the other kind of person is the kind of person that just simply like, can't do life without all the information. And so they explore a little bit deeper. And those kind of people tend to feel like they get buried underneath a mountain of doubt. Um, because doubt is a simple reality. We can push it down and push it aside or we can engage with it and let, us, let it beat us. Or there's another option, and I want to get to that today. But I want to start with some personal reflection. We're going to do that a lot this morning. We're actually going to end our time with a, a personal time of reflection um, for what God is doing in your own heart. But I want you to think about this real quick. These two kinds of people. You never doubt, you never doubt God for who he is and who he says he is. You just kind of don't. And you're like, yeah, I don't really struggle with doubt. Maybe you've said that to yourself. The second kind is you are drowning in doubt, wondering if he's there, if he's loving if he's good, if he's relevant. If you're in this first group, you need to hear this message today. There's a good chance genuine faith is not even something you're pointed at. For you, I hope to create a crisis. I know I say that way too often. Um, I hope to create a crisis for you. Um, because the truth is the crisis is already there. You just need to be woke up to it. I pray that you will this morning so you can enter into an authentic journey with God. If you don't struggle with doubt ever, if you can actually say those words or you feel like, like, not really, chances are you're just, you're not engaged. Because let's face it, this God that we're pursuing, that we're attempting to know better, that we're attempting to follow, um, he is so different than us. He is so much bigger than us. His ways are not our ways. And he hasn't revealed everything. And so there's always going to be unanswered questions. 
But chances are, if you're in this first category, you just take those unanswered questions and try to ignore them, act like they don't exist. Eventually, that will catch up with you. And, and the, the, the worst thing about that is it sets you up to not really be in an authentic process on a journey of faith. Um, if you're in that second group, you've chosen to believe a lie that has likely crippled your faith journey. It's kept you believing that no real Christian would ever doubt the existence of or the goodness or the character of God, right? No good Christian would ever do that. In this group, you need to hear this message today because your posture towards your doubt is keeping you from experiencing the adventure of genuine faith. But you're on, that, you're on the cusp of it. And, and if I had to pick like one or the other category that I prefer you be in, neither one of them are very good because both of them are, are rooted in like a misunderstanding of what God wants us to do with our doubt. But if I had to pick one for you, I'd pick the second one because I believe the midst of struggle has the potential for change. When we're indifferent, when we're like shutting our eyes, it's like we're shutting God off. There's nothing he can do with our hearts and our lives. At times, we can do the same thing in the second category as well, though, because we believe a lie and we sit and struggle. Sometimes we even get to the point where we embrace. We embrace this, we embrace this kind of doubt that keeps us from really connecting with God. And today, I'm hoping to land all of us in this third group. That's what we're going to talk about. And as we dive in to this conversation this morning, I want to go back to the puzzle illustration one more time. Um, if you've been with us, you've you know we've been, we've been comparing faith and the journey of faith to a puzzle, a big puzzle. And our faith journey begins when we decide to pull out a 10,000-piece puzzle, dump it out on the table, and start flipping over pieces. We don't know what the puzzle is. And our faith starts out in a very kind of exciting and, and fast way when we start putting the edge pieces together. And that's super easy, right? It goes up quick. It makes us feel like we're accomplishing things. Right? And then quickly, as time goes by and we, we continue to put those pieces together, it gets harder. It's tougher to identify pieces that go together because they don't have an edge identifying them. So we group together colors. We try to put things together so that we can, we can sort of make some sense out of it. And along the journey, um, we, we find ourselves forcing pieces together. We find ourselves putting pieces together and thinking that we're getting a clear picture of what that, that puzzle's doing, only to find out that it's not doing that at all. We get frustrated and maybe we walk away from the table. Uh, maybe we get angry with what we're seeing as the puzzle goes together. At times, we're tempted to walk away from our faith altogether. And ultimately, this, this puzzle illustration brings us to like not a full conclusion. Because remember, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. In this world, in this life, we are not going to put the final piece of the puzzle of our faith journey. We're not going to put it in, in this world, in this life. We're never going to see the full picture until we're face-to-face -face with God on the other side, in heaven. Unhindered relationship with him. Then we see the full picture clearly. So in this world, we will never have the full picture. We'll always be dealing with a working product. Right? Imagine a large puzzle on your table. Imagine getting to the point where you can tell what the puzzle is. In fact, you have no doubt what the puzzle is. It's clear. But it's still far from finished. There's still details that you've got to figure out. And every time you figure out another one, you get a, a better sense of what the puzzle maker was doing. This is life in this world, on this faith journey. And so our goal is not to finish the puzzle, to have clarity. And I think that's one of the biggest places we get tripped up. Because uh, in our heads we think, I should know this by now. I've been doing this thing for a long time. Why do I still doubt? Why do I still misunderstand? Why do I still not know? And the truth is, in this side of heaven, we're never going to know. So for us, we're trying to reach something else. We're trying to get to another point. There is a place where we can get, where we can have faith that is unshakable, where we no longer question God. But what does that look like? And it's that point in creating this puzzle where you know. You know what the puzzle is. You know what it's doing. At this point, it makes some sense to you. you got to keep putting pieces together for the rest of your life. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to this puzzle illustration a couple of times because I think there's some powerful, some powerful images in that for us. Um, and I want to do that this morning by, by looking at one man's story. It comes to us in the book of Genesis 12 to 22. Abraham is sort of like the first, the first guy that ever went on a faith journey with God in all of Scripture. And it's this incredible story. It's this, it's this really amazing story uh, of a guy who's just like you and who's just like me. But I want, to, I want to read for you the beginning of his journey 
And then I want to read for you the end of his journey, the end of his faith journey, the point where he, where he saw enough to know for sure that this is the God who, this God is who he says he is. He's faithful. I can trust him. I can surrender every aspect of my life to him. So here it is, chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. We dive in. This is where Abraham starts on the scene. It's the first experience he'll ever have with God. It says this, the Lord came to Abraham and said, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So this is like, the first time Abraham's ever heard anything from this God. He's never heard of this God, this Jewish God, Yahweh. Right? And he shows up and he tells him to do a crazy thing. This is the beginning. And I'm going to come back to that. Right? But at this point, he has no knowledge of God. He, it's just God like taking his puzzle pieces and like dumping them on a table and saying, what do you want to do? Would you build it? And we see in the story that he says, sure, I'll start putting pieces together. And it gets tough really, really fast. But then we fast forward 10 chapters later to Genesis chapter 22, and it's still Abraham. And he's had this incredible journey with God, which I'm going to come back to. But I want you to see a difference. We've got in Genesis 12, this, this unknown God, this I don't know anything about this God. I don't know what he wants. First introduction. And then we see something different in Genesis 22. And I just want to read it. It's a story that's been like highly controversial. I'm, I'm less worried about what's actually going on in this story. And I want you to notice Abraham's posture towards God. In, verse, in chapter 22, he says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Ironically, the same response that he gave to God in chapter 12 when God showed up on the scene. Something cool about Abraham being available. Sometime later, God tested him. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Some of the same language, right? He's asking him to do stuff, but not really telling him a whole lot. Um, sacrifice your son, that's kind of a big deal. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw this place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke and said to his father, Abraham, father, Yes, son, Abraham replied. The firewood is here. The fire and the, and the wood are, are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Just like, connect with what's happening here. He's going to sacrifice his son. Verse 10, then he reached out. His hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed his burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible moment. This is, this is Abraham having enough information, having enough experience with God that he was, uh, he was unquestioning in his responses. If you read chapter 13 through 21, you see an Abraham who questions everything, who doubts every single time who argues with God, who tells God that he thinks that he's wrong and that he needs to rethink his plan. Little by little, he has these experiences, these moments with God, these, these life-changing choices. He's building this puzzle and he reaches a point where he has no reason to question God ever anymore. He just trusts him. He just does what he says. When God calls, he says, here I am. When God asks him to do something, he says, okay, I'll do it. This is where we want to be. This is unshakable faith. Our truth this morning is doubt 
leads to unshakable faith. That might not be something that you've ever thought of before, putting those two things in the same category. How can doubt be the path to unshakable faith? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Where Abraham began and where he ended up, this is what matters. This is what we're looking at today. It's powerful. A few weeks ago, Courtney reminded us that unshakable faith is total confidence in the character of God. This scene, this story is a picture of a person who has total confidence in the character of God. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He he seems to be relatively convinced that he's not going to sacrifice his son Isaac. And yet, he is doing everything that God says. If you follow the relationship he has with his son, like, Like, this isn't, it's not a cartoon that's going on here. This is a big deal. All of the promises that he's ever given Abraham are lying on the shoulders of this kid Isaac that he's now asked him to sacrifice. And there's not even a moment, a hint of questioning. He just, he just does it. He just goes. And sure enough, God provides. Hebrews 11, 1 defines faith for us in a pretty scary way. Faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we don't see. This is the faith we want. This is the kind we need. Yet how many of us would describe our lives, our, our lives with God in this way? Confidence in his character. Assurance that he's good, that he loves us, that he's there, that he wants us, that his plan is perfect. I think every single, every single human on this planet would say out loud, I want that. I want what that looks like. Even people who don't believe in God. What if, what if you could know and be so confident in the character of God because of your experience with him that you never question him again? His goodness, his faithfulness. I think every human being longs for it, wants it. And and what I want to say today is, is if Abraham could get there, so can you. So can I. This This can describe your life. It can. It really, it really can. And we're going to go, we're going to um, take a look at Abraham's life this morning and try to figure out together what he did that led him to this kind of unreal, unshakable, foundational faith. The kind that didn't need all the answers to trust in the plan and the will and the character of God. When, when God asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, he A whole bunch of times, even when Isaac said, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He didn't know. He didn't know what was coming. But he didn't know one thing. That God is good. That God loved Isaac. That God had a plan for him and for Isaac. And he trusted in it so much that he had no need for questioning. There's some cool things that we see throughout Abraham's life that I think he actually intentionally, like ways that he postured his life and his heart that set him up to become this guy, to experience this. Ultimately, our faith journey, whatever it's pointed at, is going to lead us um, to the kind of faith that we have. And I said a few weeks ago, there's only really one thing that our faith journey can be pointed at and also lead to this kind of unshakable faith, and it's it's him and him alone. It isn't isn't, uh, answered questions. It isn't freedom from wondering, because like I said, that will never be a reality for us this side of heaven. We've said it over and over. In this series, the faith journey we are on is not one seeking answers or seeking the end to wondering, but a journey toward greater clarity on the character of God. And you can have it. You can have it. Abraham started from zero. He knew less than you do. That's a promise. Even if this is your first time ever in church, you, knew, you know more now than Abraham did when God first called him. He started from zero. Zero. He knew nothing of this God. And he ended He finished his life knowing God so well that he had no reason to question him ever. He didn't push away his doubt. Instead, he he, he learned to leverage his doubt for deeper, more authentic faith. He embraced the struggle and in doing so allowed God to do the work that only he can do. The authoring and perfecting work of building faith. It's only his job. We've talked about that as well. Hebrews 12 tells us that. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance or hindrance and the sin which entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's this this puzzle-building faith journey. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
It's our only job. And then it tells us his job, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That's what I want you to see this morning. And that's probably the linchpin. And as we you know, stay true to this, this morning of reflection, um, we've got to ask ourselves a question in our struggle, in our doubt, in our life in general, regardless of which group you fall in, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? That's where it probably begins. Abraham had his eyes fixed. He has eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of faith. And guess what happened? His faith became unshakable. That's what we're after today. Um, the reality for a person who is truly seeking to be a follower of Jesus is that, that we will come across things that are scary, uncomfortable, and impossible to wrap our minds around. After all, we are seeking an unknowable, all-powerful, omniscient God whose ways are simply higher than ours. Doubt will be your companion. It's what we do with it. It's how we respond to it and how we view that doubt that is the game changer. We can let it beat us. We can stay indifferent to it or we can leverage it for powerful faith. And that's what Abraham did. I don't think he knew he was doing that. But there's some things that he did that I, I want you to see. And I think from his example, we can begin to actually choose these things and, and leave the faith stuff up to the, to the one who's, who's capable of it. And we, just, we can just keep running the race. And it's going to be hard. We can pe put, keep putting pieces together. Um, so let's do this. Let's dive into this. You've, you have your outline. You can get it out. There's just five things on it that I want to go over today. And, and, and so real quick before I dive into that first point, a really quick recap on the life of Abraham. Okay, God shows up to him and he's, he gives him these promises. I'm going to make, you, I'm gonna make, make your name great and I'm going to take the problem that Genesis chapter 1 through 11 created, right? The, that's the story of the Adam and Eve story and, and choosing sin and God throwing them out of the garden. That's a whole other conversation. But at this point, at this point, the, the story is, it's a mess. Like the, the, the world's a mess. Like sin broke the world, like really badly. And, and God coming to Abraham is, is the beginning of his plan to fix it, to fix the problem of sin in the world that took human beings designed for relationship with God, a holy God, and reuniting them in genuine relationship. And this is his plan. This is where it begins. He comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to do that through your life. All you got to do is what I say. Just obey me. And then I will show you myself and show you what I want from you. And he does that. And he makes all kinds of mistakes along the way. And, he, and we're going to look at some of them. And, and the way that he questioned, the way he doubted, it was, it was powerful. It was, it was incredible. But there's this, here's this broken regular guy, regular guy, who God is going to use to change the effects of sin and give us free access to him. And so it's this incredibly cool story. And, and so the first thing that I want you to see, I want you to recognize about the, the heart posture of Abraham is number one on your outline. He began with a surrendered posture. Um, here's a simple reality. You won't ever experience God if you don't start. I'm sorry. You won't ever experience God if you start with you. If your life is about you, you're never going to experience life-altering faith. If your faith is mostly about you, it will set you up for one of two things. You'll either live an ignorant faith that has little need for anything real, or you will continually doubt. You will continually let doubt beat, beat you, bury you. Faith's journey begins with surrender, and there's no way around it. Okay, Understand that. Connect with that for a minute. This is the way Abraham began. It's what laid the foundation for the rest of his faith, his faith journey with God. Going back to Genesis chapter 12, listen to the surrender, right? God comes to him in, in verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And he gives him all these promises. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'm going to show the world what I'm like through you. Verse 4. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, where he grew up. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all his possessions, all that they had accumulated, all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of, of Moreh at Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Again, he still doesn't know this God. Verse 8, from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. 
There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So here he is. God shows up to him, doesn't know him. He says, leave everything behind and go. And he says, okay, I'll go. And the first thing he does when he gets to this unknown place, the place that I will show you, is he builds an altar to the Lord and worships him. He goes a little further and he builds another altar to the Lord and he worships him. His heart, his posture is one of surrender. Like there's so much of the time I wish that I had more details. Like what, what did they do when they arrived there? What, was, what, was he, what did he see? What was he afraid of? How did he respond? We get some of that, which we're going to look at today. But, but this just seems crazy to just up and leave just because God said so. Surrender. He just did what God said. He trusted. He, didn't, he, he trusted a God he didn't know. I think so often we, we take a wait and see approach with God. Like, I want to see something that will give me enough faith to take the next step. The problem is, the step of surrender precedes the confidence that is produced by faith. In other words, if you're always looking to know first, you will never have the confidence that faith brings. Make this connection, okay? This is the way it works. I didn't design it like this. Surrender's required, first steps are required before you can experience faith. It's impossible any other way. I had this image in my head all week um, of like a suspension bridge, like an old suspension bridge. It's this image, actually. She's going to put it up there. Um, so when it goes up there, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. You're standing at the opening. You want to get, get to the other side. You, you know that's where you need to be. It's where you want to be. But man, it looks kind of scary. It doesn't look like a bridge that you want to cross. You've got all kinds of questions about, will it hold me? Even that first step. Right? You've got two options. You can walk away because it doesn't look safe and you're going to stay alive. Or you can take the first step. And who knows? You might fall. But there's only one way to know for sure if that bridge can actually hold you up. The only way is to take the first step. Once you do, you will no longer be in doubt. You might be dead, but you will no longer doubt whether or not that bridge can hold you up or not. You know plain and simple. This is the reality of faith. But here's the thing. What God is calling us into is on the other side of that bridge. It's over there. So taking a step of faith, it's not something that we have a choice about. To walk away is to actually push away the confidence that comes from experience. Like this is where we're at. The level of faith produced in a circumstance is directly proportionate to the level of doubt you experience in the process of surrendering to God in it. I want to read that again. I want you to hear that. Okay? The level of faith produced in a circumstance, like standing in front of this bridge, is directly proportionate to the level of doubt you experience in the process of surrendering to God in it. In other words, more doubt equals more faith. That makes no sense. That's a math problem that doesn't make sense to our minds. I know that. But in a lot of ways, you can get it. You can sense what I'm talking about. We push away doubt and at the same time, push away the thing that we long for most, confidence, faith, in the power of God, in his goodness. Because see, the person standing on the other side of that bridge, they don't doubt its ability to hold them up anymore. With each step, they learn a little bit more about, the, uh, about the, the, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the trustworthiness of God. Hear this. A heart postured for surrender no longer sees doubt as the enemy, but the means by which genuine, unshakable faith is realized in their life. It seems counterintuitive, I know, but it's absolutely true, and it was absolutely true in Abraham's life. He made the choice and experienced the goodness of God in the process in a powerful way. Um, Abraham was surrendered, first of all. But second, on your outline, he was authentic in his pursuit. He approached God with a diligently authentic heart. He didn't really know any other way. It's easy to assume, based on what I've read and told you about Abraham, that, that it was maybe easier for him to walk across a bridge like that. That he knew something that we don't. But guess what? He had no idea. And I want to show you the authenticity that he approached God with. Um, when it comes to our relationship with God, oftentimes we throw out every normal, understood relational rule and still expect to feel the presence of God. 
right? If I talk to my wife, if I talk to my wife only when I screwed up or wanted something from her, what would our relationship be like? And yet this is the way we approach God and then wonder why we don't experience him. We don't know him. What the heck, God? If I talk to my wife once a week on Sunday mornings from 10.30 to noon, wouldn't know her very well. We've got to experience life, authentic process, authentic relationship. We have to come before God with every aspect of our lives. And that's what Abraham did. I mean, it wasn't always super pretty. There's Genesis 19 is kind of a crazy, uh, crazy passage. And, and I've actually preached on it before. You can go back and listen to it. It was in our Thread of Hope series um, if you want more information. But I'm not reading this for the content of the story, but I want you to see, um, I want you to see Abraham's like, attitude towards God. His general approach. How would you characterize the way that he's feeling towards God as I read this, okay? Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, it's two cities um, that were notoriously just filled with all kinds of terrible stuff, um, is so great that, that their sin and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if, if they have done, what they have done is so bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men, turn, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham set, approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So in other words, he's coming to him and he's saying, okay, hold on. There might be some good people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, why are you going to wipe them all out? The righteous with the bad ones too. Why would you do that, God? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for their sake, the 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked. Hear what he's saying? Hear what he's doing? Sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep going. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare it, the whole place, for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? Then Abraham spoke again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing. Oh, sorry, I skipped that. Um, once again, he spoke to him. What if, what if only 40 are found there that are righteous? And God said, for their sake, I will not destroy it. Verse 30, then, then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak again. What if only 30 can be found? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found? Do you see what's going on here? Like you have been here. You've been in this place right here. Like sort of pretending to respect God, right? I know I'm but dust and ashes, but you got this thing all wrong, God. Like you're, you're messed up in the head. Your decisions are not good. He's questioning the discernment of God. And he knows it's stupid, but he's doing it anyway. Because he just doesn't know, he doesn't see. And what I love more than anything is the patience of God in the process. He's like, he's being called out. Like if you've got kids, think about this. How do you feel when they question your authority? Okay, it's not super fun. Even better than that is when your really little kids argue with you about things that they have no clue about. None whatsoever. It, you just want to like strangle them. Like, are you kidding me? And God has to feel this way with Abraham, but he's so, he's so incredibly patient with him. He's like, all right. When I think, about, think back over my life, um, you may be surprised by this, but I was a very arg fairly argumentative kid myself. Um, and there's been times when I've thought back um, about conversations with, that I've had with my dad um, where he just sort of let me spout off, um, thinking that I knew what I was talking about. And everywhere I've been, he's already been. He's already been through all of it. He knows the answer, and he's just sort of like, I can still see it. And at the time, I thought, yeah, I'm convincing him. And he's just sitting there going like, yeah, you, you okay? Sure, you'll figure it out. If you know my dad, you can probably see that face right now. But this is the way God is, is treating Abraham right now. He's saying, okay. But what I find most fascinating is Abraham's willingness to bring it all before God's feet. This authentic relationship. The subject of the conversation isn't the issue, it's his posture this scene is Abraham doubting. He's doubting that, that, that God's will is good, that his discernment is right. He's, he's challenging the wisdom of God, and it's laughable. Think about it. 
It's crazy. It makes no sense. But it doesn't bother God. He's fine with it. In fact, I'm convinced that he likes it. It's this authentic journey. This is what, this is what set Abraham up to experience God. And he did. In this moment, he learned something incredibly powerful about God. And that is that he's incredibly slow to anger. And desires to be merciful. And is patient. And gives grace first. And he learns to trust in the, in the discerning will of God. Um, we've been tracking my wife's story in this series um, through a few videos. If you haven't been with us, um, maybe we'll get them posted so you can see the whole story. We'll see the end of it um, later on. Um, but this is one of the things that I've loved most about watching her process. Um, she's, like, if you know her well, she doesn't, she doesn't talk as much as I do. Um, but, but she's, like, the most genuine, authentic person I've ever known in my whole life. Um, and so her process with God has always been, one of the things that's always challenged me is how real she is with God. And she says things that I'm like, oh, you God, you can't say that. Like, don't, don't say that. Like, God's listening. Right? Because I, I, like, but she just does. And it's allowed her to experience him in a way that's unique. Because she's on this authentic journey. Um, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like who you are right now. I don't like what I see the closer that I get. These are words that Christians shouldn't say, right? Wrong, according to what God is saying right here in Abraham's story. We need to be on an, in an authentic journey with him. Abraham always gave God whatever he was feeling, thinking, wondering, or doubting. He didn't hide it, push it away due to lack of comfort, or get lazy and just give up trying. He just leaned in hard, believing that God would straighten things out in the end, and God always did. One of the most vivid examples of this authentic relationship comes in Genesis chapter 17. God had been promising him this son, Isaac. And he said, through your son is, is how I'm going to bless all the nations. And he's old at this point. And, and he's like, you still haven't given me a son. When are you going to do that? Um, and God comes to him in, in verse 15 of chapter 17. Um, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Sorry, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be a mother of nation. King of people will come from her. But the problem is she's barren and she's old at this point. Listen to Abraham's response. I love this. Abraham fell face down and he laughed. He laughed. Seriously, a son's going to be born to a man 100 years old and a wife that's barren? He's laughing at God. God is saying, I'm going to do this. And his response is laughter. Challenging God once again, doubt on display. It's amazing. So the question is, how, how authentic is your pursuit? Two things that need to be present for a pursuit to be authentic. One, it needs to be laid bare in all things, like Abraham, giving God whatever is real in the moment. Secondly, it needs to be continual, relentless, and unending. It can't be spotty or, under, or only under convenience. It can't be set aside due to busyness or distraction. I think this is one of the hardest things for us. Life with God is, is a continual journey and process. We've got to stick with it. We've got to stay authentic. And on this journey, only in this authentic pursuit of the character of God can doubt be leveraged for powerful faith. But it will if you do. Number three, he didn't let what appeared to be broken promises derail, derail him. Um, we need to understand this point. Um, I think the number one thing that keeps most Christians from really diving into the mystery of God is because we're scared to death of what will happen when we do. We ask ourselves the question, at least, at least in the back of our minds, or try not to answer it, what happens if I really go after God and all of my suspicions, all of my doubts are just confirmed? What do I do then? Like most of my friends are at church. Like my whole social structure my whole life, I've, I've, give, I've given time, energy, resources to this thing. What if he's actually not there? And it keeps us, our fear of him not being who he says he is, keeps us from ever really starting this journey. We're afraid that he won't show up for us, like he won't prove himself faithful. What happens if I throw all in with God and it turns out he isn't there for me, he isn't loving, or he isn't who he says he is? Abraham had so many chances to just mail it in. And pull away, disconnect. So many opportunities. 
He kept on giving his heart to God. He kept on learning or leaning in even when it was hardest. Hebrews 11 is in the New Testament, but it recaps some of the life of Abraham, and it's really kind of cool. Um, but Abraham was one of was one of the ones, one of the people in this chapter. It's it's sort of like the 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 chapter about really people with awesome faith. But the thing that you realize very quickly if you read it is they're all pretty messed up too. Um, but Abraham is one of them in this story. And Hebrews eleven thirteen says this: All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So Abraham's story is that God promised him a bunch of things that he never got to see happen. That he came and said, I'm going to give you this land. When Abraham died, they were still, like his people were, were still wandering. Like that's, that sucks. Right? We expect God to come through on his promise, right? Or we at least expect to see it. And I think this is one of our biggest fears. Because God says these things to us. He promises us these things. And we want to see it now. Because we're not really interested in a process. Abraham's choice was to continue to trust. To stay surrendered to the will of God. To the promises of God. Even when it felt like the promises weren't, they, they weren't actually coming true in his own life. He couldn't see them. What if you never get the answers you're looking for? What if you never get to see what you want to see? What if, what if it never makes perfect sense to you? That is possible. I've kind of already like pushed up against it but, it. but if what you need to throw all in with God is to have all your questions answered, uh, you're just going to be frustrated the rest. You, just, you might as well mail it in now. Because it's not worth continuing to like tiptoe on the edge of something, giving your life to something that cannot change you ever. Surrender is what's required. Or we won't ever experience the kind of faith that we're actually asking God for. And he's going, yeah, I know I want to give it to you also. Problem is I can't. Because you've got to take a step first. I can't. Your level of faith is directly proportionate to the amount of doubt connected to your circumstances. You, wanna, you want me to build faith? You want me to author faith? Perfect faith? Then you've got you've to trust when you can't see. You've got to dive in. I will, I will build your faith if you do. And that's the power of what these verses are saying. And he did. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who, who sincerely seek him. This is another verse that gets so misinterpreted. Because it says, it says only faith pleases God. And our natural instinct is to go, okay, I've got to be better at faith. That's not what it's asking for from us. Who gets powerful, life-changing faith? Those who sincerely seek him. Every time. Your part in this process is to simply seek him. Not answers, just him. Even in the wondering, even in the confusion, even in the doubt, and guess what? Even more powerfully in the doubt. If we do, we can leverage our doubts for greater faith, for more powerful faith, because it's in this context in the, in the context of what appears to be unanswered promises, it's where God does his best work. It's where the refining hand of God takes hold of our lives and teaches our hearts that he is, in fact, enough. It's awesome. Number four, he remained humble and teachable. Through a lot of crazy circumstances, um, God had him all over the map. And like I said, I, he probably should have mailed it in a couple times. Because there was so much unknown, but he stayed humble and he, and he stayed teachable. He told God when he was angry. He told God when he was confused. He fought with God. He argued with God. He challenged God. But he stayed humble. He stayed teachable. Um, Genesis 15, 1 through 6 is kind of a cool example. Um, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, Do not be afraid. Abraham's afraid. Um, I'm your shield, your, every, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer from Damascus. And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will have to be my heir. He's struggling. And God told him all this stuff, and he's just not coming through. And he's just kind of like done. But he brings it before the Lord, and he stays humble and teachable. 
And so here it is, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He's reiterating the promise. Verse 5. He took him outside. I don't, like, I'm an I'm a, I'm a image guy. And so when I hear he took him outside, like, I see God, like, hanging out with Abraham, like, looking at the stars together. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, he said, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it's this really intimate moment. It's this cool thing that's going on, and it comes in the context of significant doubt. He's saying, God, I, I don't believe that you can do this. But he hasn't shut himself off. And so God shows him the stars and says, look, count the stars, which like sounds kind of, basically what he's saying is, dude, you're so small. You know so little. Because I know how many stars there are. And not only do I know how many stars there are, but that's the number of descendants you're going to have. And his response was, okay. All right. I believe you. I don't think his... I don't think his problems were solved. I don't think his fears were gone. I don't think that his doubts were dismissed. I know they weren't because he continues to do it. There's only chapter 15 and he keeps doing it till like chapter 21. But in this moment, his heart was humble. He remained teachable. He continued to seek and there was power in that. Number five, he always had a front row seat for God's character on display. And really, it was, it was his choice, his surrender choice that gave him a front row seat. And I think, I think a lot of us, we hang back and we choose to not surrender. We stay. We, 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 we stay on the other side of that bridge. And we say to ourselves, like, like we look and we, we, we say, that bridge can't hold us. It can't hold you either. We kind of pace back and forth, like, like looking at it and going, yeah, see, over there, that, that one board looks like it's kind of shaky. I, I'm not going to, no way. There's no way. And, and we, we watch maybe people walk, we walk, walk on that bridge, and, and we watch them do it, and we make excuses, and we're like, yeah, but, you know, they weigh like 20 pounds less than me. So it probably would break if I went out there. But all this time, we expect, we expect God to show up for us. And he's made it really clear to us it's in the context of surrender that you're going to experience the power of my faithfulness, my goodness. Over and over again, he kept leaning in. He kept on experiencing God as a result. It was only in these circumstances that were created by his choice to believe when he didn't know if he could that gave him a front row seat to God in his own life. He questioned he questioned and God answered. He argued and God was patient. He wondered and God said, trust me. Through it all, Abraham, made, um, through it all, Abraham um, kept God at the center of his authentic pursuit of him. And the reward was faith, unshakable faith. It came from the knowledge of, of, of him in the circumstances he'd been in. It was tested. It was true. For his entire life, he chose to believe God. And in this context of his chosen belief, he chose to believe even when he didn't, his chosen surrender, God was currently authoring, writing the story of his faith. And he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. He was putting his puzzle together one piece at a time. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. The board is up and he starts building. The border's up, sorry. He starts building just one piece at a time. By faith, verse 9, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him on this promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He keeps putting pieces together, never puts the puzzle away, trusting that one day he will see the whole picture, doubt, struggle, wondering, and confusion but still through it all. Just one more piece. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah, who was, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. He's starting to see now. It's becoming more clear. God can do things he never dreamed of. He can sense the goodness and the nearness of God. He doesn't have all the answers. He's received some of the promises, but it's enough 
for him to, to be able to continue building just one more piece. And so from this man, verse 12, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sands on the seashore. Abraham just kept building. And the result was total confidence in the character of God. His doubt became the tool God would use to shape him, sustain him, and grow his faith into an unshakable one. It didn't come without a struggle. As you and I, um, as you and I this morning sit at the table, um, looking at our own faith journey, that's sort of the imagery that I want to give you. We're looking at an unfinished puzzle. Everyone in this room is in a different place. Maybe you're still like looking at the puzzle in the box. And that's okay. It's okay. We're all in different places, but we're all sitting here with essentially a question, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your faith? If you like the bridge example better, um, you, can stand, you can put yourself there. And God is saying, hey, I want, I want to give you unshakable faith. It's what I want to do. It's not going to come quickly. It's not going to come overnight. But you also don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all put together. Just, just start putting, your, putting pieces together. Maybe just one. And trust that I'm going to fill in the blanks. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and every sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is what God is asking for from us. As we wrap this thing up, where do we go from here? And we're going to take the next, like, I don't know, seven minutes or something like that, and we're just going to process our, our, our own stories, our own puzzles. We're going to wrap with, with the, the, the closing of Anne-Marie's story. Um, the question is really your own. There's people, we need people along the way to help. We talked about that with the puzzle as well. Sometimes we need others to, to join in and help us put our puzzle together. We're not in this alone, but it is up to us. Our faith. The power of our faith is directly proportionate to the level of doubt in any circumstance. The more you doubt, the more potential for faith exists as long as we choose to surrender, to lean in, to leverage our doubts for more powerful faith. Let's watch. So I kind of think that where this has brought me is definitely still in a process, but there's a few things that have allowed me to be settled. Um, and not that my circumstances are settled, but, um, you know, you, it's undeniable that God loves people and, and wants them, wants their heart. Um, so the more that I saw what it is he's really after, once I was able to, like, sort out through some of these stories, what is he after, really? Even though he's letting some things go that I didn't think he should, really what God wants is for me to pursue him and be satisfied with who he is alone and content with that. And really that, um, the biggest thing that that changes in me is that I'm living for eternal purposes because I don't know what he's gonna choose to do with this whole situation that I'm in. I don't know if I'm gonna like it, but getting to the point where his, his nearness is my good, not, my circumstances or whether or not 